So, welcome to Obscurigami, a yes. podcast where we talk about obscure things. I'm Ben. And I'm Thomas. Coming to you live from the Hollywood Hills here in Massachusetts. <laughs> this joke won't make sense anymore because none of the pretext <laughs> is, is uh, in, in the podcast. Dear listener, you should know that this is our second attempt at recording this podcast. The we, first attempt we, was way better. We've, re, we've redone the first six episodes. They were all lost in a sandstorm. And uh, so we've started a sandstorm. <laughs> yes. Where did the sand come from? It corrupted my uh, hard drive. <laughs> Live from Dubai. It's uh, Saturday night. Yeah. There's going to be a very clear, like, first recording of the night will usually be like very somber right and uh and just a generally serious that does seem to be the emerging pattern yeah and then this the second the second recording will be be one to lift your spirits sort of a manic manic depressive cycle but i feel like uh -huh. i feel like you know that keeps things fresh a little bipolar yeah never hurt nobody <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's a it's election season uh, at the time of this recording. Somewhere. And, somewhere in the world. And, uh, you know, this will be most likely re relevant by the time you listen to this. Unless it's literally hundred years from now, hundreds of years from now, the downfall of America has happened. I really, honestly, I think that's, that's the best case scenario for this podcast. It's, it goes out onto the internet, mm -hmm. it gets lodged there in just the eternal data vortex so it's kind of like we're throwing darts in a bar and we accidentally like throw one in amongst the bottles on the wall and right. it gets lost there and it sticks and it gets lost there and thousands of years pass and mm -hmm. the the dust is six inches thick in this bar uh civilization has crumbled but this bar still stands the bar being the internet and alien group of forensic historians mm -hmm. comes in and they discover this bar and they're scouring it for all the little tidbits they can learn about the past culture so they might study it and see what they can learn mm -hmm. from the failures or mistakes or uh, curiosities of of the culture and they stumble upon one of the darts that being our podcast right and uh and they they give it a listen and you know it's not in their language, so they can't understand it. <laughs> but uh, but but we we've we've achieved our goal. Maybe um, in the future, people will think this is music. Possibly. Be like, oh yes, this is what people of that time. I feel like listen to. I feel like if for that, musical enjoyment. If that happens, episode two, which one was the? Nobody knows the numbers. The magma episode. Oh gosh, uh, I don't know. Would be a perfect sort of inception. Right. Of, uh, music within the music. Music within the music. But and, at that point, they might actually be speaking Cobayan, <laughs> so they would understand it. Wow. Mind blown. We've come full circle. Yeah, I'll probably cut all this out. Now, Needless, now that, yeah, let's return. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, presidents have been on everyone's mind. And so I was thinking, if I could talk about an obscure president, that would be interesting. But who would be the most obscure U.S. president. I, uh, did, That's a tough call. I did a little a little, little Googling, and, and there's a few candidates for this position. An article in the New York Mag, uh, nymag.com, which I'll give the link to Ben so he can put it in the show notes for all of you, 
which you can find at obscureyami.com, helped me narrow it down a little bit. Um, and they were choosing what they were calling the nation's least known president. Um, hmm. And they're... Which I guess would be synonymous. Yes. With what you were with, looking uh, for. With what I was looking for, which would be the most obscure. Their criteria was no one from the 20th or 21st century. They deemed that too recent. So too too recent in everyone's minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the founding fathers were too famous. John Quincy Adams, also too famous. Uh, they figured that people who served two terms were probably more likely yeah. to be more memorable, uh, along with anyone who was assassinated mm-hmm. or died in office uh, mm-hmm. would be particularly memorable. It couldn't be any of the famously worst presidents uh, because right. even that infamy would be a kind of fame. Um, right. No one who was impeached or oversaw a war or had a distinctly memorable name, uh, such as you know Fillmore, Van Buren, Rutherford right. B. Hayes, mm-hmm. uh, or distinctive facial hair. So uh, right. Chester R. A. Arthur. Van Buren again. Mutton chops. So according, so they say according to this highly subjective analysis, they put, they put a lot of they put a lot of thought into that, and I have to give them I have to give them credit. We should you put should, that much thought into our podcast. You should go, you should go read read their article. But long short of it is, they came to the conclusion that uh, Benjamin Harrison is our nation's most forgotten or least remembered and most wow. obscure president. Benjamin uh, Harrison. Benjamin Harrison. Single-term president, I was a man, presume. Yes, who... Uh, he was a man. He Benjamin Harrison was part of a uh, president's sandwich. Um, he, he won the election to, I believe, incumbent... Benjamin Harris is, is part of a, a Grover Cleveland sandwich. Right. Uh, Grover Cleveland was the 22nd president. Benjamin Harrison was the 23rd, and then uh, Grover Cleveland came back into office uh, after Benjamin Harrison. The only man to ever do that, I believe. Yes. Grover Cleveland. So Benjamin Harrison, um, same thing about him being the least uh, remembered or potentially most obscure president is that he's also possibly one of the the more boring presidents we could have ever had. had, uh, not, Not much interesting or of note happened during his time in now, office. Now, what, what years were, was he in uh, office? Years 1989 through 1983. 1989? Uh, 18, 1889, I'm sorry, through 1893. That's, a, that's an yeah. odd term. Yeah. He started in 1989 <laughs> and worked his way back for about 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> he is... Notably, a time traveler. <laughs> he was descendant of the Harrison family in Virginia, which uh, arrived in Jamestown. He he was a Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Um, was very involved in his church all the way up until his uh, presidency. Um, in what capacity was he a, uh, a pastor? He, or he just was not a pastor, in, uh... but he was he was just involved in uh, leadership. Oh, gotcha. Um, I did not. <clears throat> I didn't read specific, specifically right. in what capacity, but 
yeah, he was involved in leadership there. In uh, 1850, he transferred to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio uh, for grad school. There's a Miami University in Ohio? That's exactly what I said. Uh, that's why that's, this factoid is on here. Well, gee dang um, it. Apparently, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio is, one, is the 10th oldest university in the United States is still open. We should have just done an episode about that. Miami U. Miami is, uh, in Ohio and the city that this town is located, that this school is located in is called Oxford. Yes. Also known as Miami U, Miami of Ohio, Miami University, Ohio. Right. That's yeah. like having a Boise University in Paris, Texas. Yeah. It's uh, I'm I'm surprised I've never heard of it because it's not that it's ranked like 82nd among national universities. Wow. Um, it's not, it's not necessarily an unknown. Uh, yeah, not that obscure university, but yeah, he graduated from there. He was a member of two fraternities. He was very, very active. He mm -hmm. was in school for law. He, he so was, is that he where he a, did his law he study was, as well, or did he study? Uh, else yes, I believe so. Gotcha. Um, he did go on to later do some study uh, at some other schools. Let me let's see where he went somewhere prior to Miami. Uh, prior to Miami U. Oh, Farmers College near Cincinnati, Ohio. He was there two years. He met his future wife there, uh, Caroline hmm. Lavinia Scott. He was a regular frat boy. I wonder if frat boys looked different in the 1840s. Interestingly enough, we, we picture them today. He was the fourth United States president to have a full beard, and none has had a full beard since. Really? Yes. He was the last U.S. president to have a full beard. We need to change that. I know. We need to get somebody in office with a full beard stat. His inauguration ceremony took place during a rainstorm in Washington, D.C. You got to watch out for obviously. this. Yeah. And uh, the outgoing president, Grover Cleveland, uh, held his held an umbrella over his head. Really? Uh, while he took the oath of office. But these guys ran against each other. In the... Indeed. Indeed. Wow. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that kind of congeniality in today's political climate. It is. This episode is, I'm not going to attempt to give a thorough and comprehensive overview of Benjamin Harrison's life. Mm-hmm. For that, you'll have to do your own research. I just tried to grab the most interesting tidbits about him. You can edit that and put that part at the beginning. Yeah. Prior to uh, getting into office, he served in the Union Army in the Civil okay. War. Uh, Was he an officer? He the, the, There's an interesting story behind his involvement. So he's not a Virginian then, even though his family... He was born in Ohio, North okay. Bend, Ohio. Yeah, but he was—he was a senator for Indiana before he was elected yes, president. Yes, I believe that is correct. Okay. Yeah, he was a senator. So after Ohio U, he moved with his wife, his then wife Carolyn, to Indianapolis, Indiana, where he would practice law gotcha. until going into the Civil War, and then he would return to Indiana, serve there as a senator briefly. His involvement in the Civil War was, was an interesting one. He wanted to enlist, but he was worried about being able to support his family. And he expressed to a governor that he would serve if there was an opportunity for him to do so. And the, the governor, Oliver Morton, he, he told him if 
if he couldn't serve, he could possibly at least recruit a regiment for the Union Army. And Harrison recruited in northern Indiana. Once he had recruited that regiment, uh, Mort, Oliver Morton, the governor, offered him command of it. But Harrison hmm. declined because he didn't have military experience. Or and I guess training, really? Yeah, he had no prior military experience at all. He was commissioned as a captain and a company commander on or July 22nd, 1862, and then later commissioned as a colonel. He moved from commander to colonel and eventually would become a uh, brigadier general of volunteers, nominated to such by uh, President Lincoln. How did he become president, I guess? And then why why is his time as president so forgotten? So his his entrance into politics was somewhat hesitant like even his even his movement into becoming a senator was in response uh initially the first time he ran for office he just stepped in on a ticket uh after some people you know uh, the the republican candidate had stepped down and uh he was basically just like convinced to run um, the first time he, he ran for senator. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't win that time. He would later go on to win. Uh, but it, it doesn't look like it was ever really something that was a primary. He, he sort of stumbled into politics. In kind of like he ways. stumbled his way into, into the, command. Into command in the army. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like he really had a career mindset. Um, right. In, in politics. Did he only serve one term in the Senate? He, I believe he did only serve one term, yes. Yeah. Um, so his, his eventual entry into when he ran, the year he ran for president, there was a uh, favorite for the Republican nomination. He was the previous nominee who lost to Grover Cleveland, uh, and that was James G. Blaine. Blaine denied interest in nomination and uh, hmm. so was, he basically wasn't going to run again yeah he wasn't going to run again and there was a number of other candidates who were attempting to take his place and and run and Blaine did not endorse any of them and eventually on March 1st in 1888 he privately wrote uh, that the one man remaining who in my judgment can make the best one candidate meaning mm -hmm. is benjamin harrison and he didn't make that public though that was a private uh, yeah he didn't he didn't publicly endorse him but he wrote right. that privately to someone harrison was low on the first several ballots he eventually rose to popularity even his campaigning for president was really something that just kind of happened out of like <laughs> someone else choosing and endorsing him and Right. Um, you know, clearly he he didn't he didn't resist yeah. that in any way, but he it doesn't seem like he ever really set out to uh, to be there. And it can't be like the people of the country hated Grover Cleveland because they reelected him again later. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And really, I, and, and really, you asked earlier, you know, what what is it about him that specifically makes him so unmemorable and it's really that just like nothing 
nothing significant. You know, he came in, he served one term, you know, his platform was not on anything massive that had a big impact on the development of our nation. He was a proponent of civil rights. He tried to, uh, to do a lot to protect uh, the civil rights of the recently freed slaves in the South. Um, but a lot of what he tried to do was unsuccessful. A lot of his biggest attempts to get things done in Congress were, were closed down. And so in reading about him, a lot of the things that I came across, which he was notable for, were basically like, oh, well, he's notable because he signed provisions for, you know, and one example is he's the president who signed provisions for uh, formation of the original national forest. But there's not, there's not a distinct sense that like that was his yeah. thing. See, when it I was think just of the something national he forests, had a hand in, yeah. in doing, but it wasn't like he was I'm going to make a national forest. And then he pushed right. that through Congress and right. like made it happen. It was just, just kind of a thing that happened. He to just, him. you know, there was a bill and he signed it and then right. he appointed some national forests. And right. that was that. When I think of the national forests, I think of the national parks and I think of Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. That's kind of his legacy. Yeah. So, it, but that's because Teddy Roosevelt took such a hand in making that his own legacy. Like right. he didn't just sign a bill. Like yeah. he, he went out and spoke about it and talked about it a lot and became associated with the national parks. Yeah. So it, every, everything I read about Benjamin Harrison just seemed to suggest that he seemed to be largely an opportunist, hmm. someone who was there and willing to just do what needed to be done, but not someone who was quote unquote fighting mm -hmm. for anything specific or trying to make a name for yeah. himself. I'm curious if people at that time were dissatisfied with that kind of a president, because to me, from the political climate that we live in now, looking back at that, it seems almost refreshing to have the idea of someone who is taking on the responsibility, even they, though they don't necessarily want to, Right. as yeah. opposed to the people that we see now, who Ooh, it just seems like they're, they want power and yeah. they, they'll do anything to get it. I think, I mean, I think that and just the presidency was a very a different sort of thing. I think that attitude was more common in general then, um, but of him specifically, even more so. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he was not well received. It just seems like he uh, very lukewarm in, in reception. There wasn't much to hate about him and wasn't also much to, to love. Interestingly, he was, and I think this was the, the, the biggest downside, which did lead to kind of the, the backlash and the re-election of Grover Cleveland. He was the first president to spend a billion dollars in, wow. in the national budget. So he was a very spendy president. <laughs> and uh, That didn't go over so well. In that didn't times. go over so well, yeah. He really modernized the Navy. It didn't happen while he was in office, but he was very interested in having a uh, naval base in Hawaii, and he supported the annexation of Hawaii. He had an active foreign policy. So an example of, of one of the ways he involved himself in foreign policy was there was a, a an issue where there was a European embargo on U.S. pork, 
that happened uh, because there was unconfirmed con concern about trichinosis in, in our pork. And hmm. Europe had embargoed our pork. What is trichinosis? Trichinosis is parasitic disease caused by roundworms. Uh, during the initial infection, invasion of the intestines can result in diarrhea, abdominal pain, and vomiting. I would embargo that. <laughs> so yes, so uh, so yeah, there were there were unconfirmed rumors of parasite in our uh -huh. meat. Harrison uh, worked directly with France and Germany to get those embargoes restored, and then he got a meat inspection act passed uh, to help keep inaccurate accusations like that from happening. If he did all these things, he must have had a pretty good relationship with his Congress, or at least agreeable enough to get some of his ideas, some of his ideas put in place. One story that is told about his kind of diplomatic personality, when the states of North Dakota and South Dakota were admitted into the Union, they were notoriously rivalrous and uh, disputes would, would kick off over just the like tiniest of issues. <laughs> and there was, there was concern about which would enter the Union first. Right. And so when he signed them into the Union, he took the papers for their admittance into the Union and he shuffled them up so that no one could see which was which. And he signed <laughs> them both so that no one, knew, no one knows whether Which South one became or a North state Dakota first. became a state first. <laughs> uh, and he did that intentionally to keep, keep right. that from becoming like an, a point of contention among the states. That's interesting. So, uh, I didn't know that. He was good at, at diplomacy and those little things. Anything that was trying to push the boundaries, it seems like he didn't meet much success. At age 62, he remarried after his, his wife had died to Mary Scott Lord Dimmick, the widowed 37-year-old niece and former secretary of his deceased wife. So, uh... Wow. He married a... Say that again? 25... The, his, his wife's secretary? His wife's secretary and niece. Oh. Who, who was widowed. So his wife had died, uh -huh. and then his wife's secretary and niece, her husband died. Right. And she was 25 years younger than, than uh, <laughs> Harrison. And he remarried her. Or he married her. Harrison's two adult children at that time, Russell, who was 40 years old, and Mary McKee, who was 38, disapproved of the marriage and did not attend the wedding. Wow. So that was a little, like, one little paragraph of information in Wikipedia. Huh. And I was like... That sounds like a story unto itself. Yeah. There's just one of the... That's just one of those situations where you're like, I'm sure there was much more going on there than, uh, yeah. than what meets the eye. Yeah, that's interesting because he's... You described him as a person who's so uh, kind of influenced by events around him. But that seems like an unusually, like running off with the secretary. Yeah. <laughs> after your wife's death. Sounds like a very deliberate sort of act. Maybe he was, uh, he was, he was fed up with uh, being an opportunist. Well, fun fact, to conclude that discussion, my, in my youth, my mother had a placemat with all the U.S. presidents on it at that time. Uh-huh. And I would, when eating my breakfast or whatever meal, I would look at all the presidents and I, I would pick my favorite. And my favorite was always Benjamin Harrison because really? we had the same name. Yeah. He's oh, the yeah. only president named Ben. So 
There you go. But I knew absolutely nothing about Benjamin Harrison. Yeah, you didn't know that he was the last, last president to sport a beard. Until now. Until now. His his vice president, Levi P. Morton, also a very unnotable man. <laughs> one of, one of the uh, most significant facts about him was that he died at age 96 on his birthday. And hmm. he's the only vice president to have died on his birthday. The only one in history. Yeah. Benjamin Harrison happened to be the first U.S. president to be recorded. And there is an there is a single audio recording of him speaking. As president of the United States, I was president of the first Pan-American Congress in Washington, D.C. Okay, I guess that's it. Well, that was very informative. I'll, uh... I'll, I'll manage to uh, hack something together out of that that mash. You know, it's like that's like forty five minutes. So uh, yeah, Daryl, that'll be. I'll cut all my confused bits out of the. That'll be second only out of the to middle the uh, and patch gas together. turbine car episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. of Doom. <laughs> well, so we've come to that portion of the show where we hit the random button on Wikipedia and then we explain to you what we find there. And uh, and I'm going. I'm clicking. Oh, great. Oh, no. <laughs> it was bound to happen sooner or later. Uh, so the article that has been brought up is uh, triple correlation. The triple correlation of an ordinary function on the real line is the integral of the product of that function with two independently shifted copies of itself. Clearly. So uh, yeah, basically this. Well, we can give we can give some of the history because the 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 the, the meaning of a triple correlation escapes me. Um, I did not understand the sentence that I just read at all. Yeah. Other than that, it's it's a function. We can uh, we can paste the function into the show notes. So it it has something to do with statisticians and laser beams. Hideyagamo in nineteen sixty three described an apparatus for the measuring of triple correlation of the triple correlation of a laser beam and also showed how phase information can be recovered from the real part of the bi-spectrum. Let's see if Jerry... I think we, we stumbled across something truly obscure. Well, no, it can't be that obscure if it's fundamental to the... Well, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure. I mean, I think it's obscure in terms of its application. Right, it must be a fairly specific application. So if you ever watch movies about disease and there's a whiteboard or one of those like clear clear things that they're writing things on. that they write on, the functions that we're looking at right now look like what's written on those whiteboards. They they don't look overly complicated. They're just beyond my understanding. Well, we've uh we've hit the brick wall of our understanding. It, yeah. <laughs> this well, is... this has been a unique episode this has been a unique episode truly uh, it's gonna take a lot of editing but uh, my I, best wishes to you as you undertake that process i can persevere well uh yeah that's uh well if you know about triple correlation and can explain to a couple dumb dumb heads what this wikipedia article is even the heck about yeah then please by all means reach out to us via email our contact info is in the show notes. And uh, check thanks. us out on obscuragami.com. Well, there you have it. Well, yeah, if you if you, uh, if you you have any uh, interesting topics that you think we should explore, 
um, you can email them to us. I, I haven't checked the show email in a while. <laughs> in a while. <laughs> they can send ideas, but it's like sending your idea out to pasture. Right. Like it may or may not come back. Yeah, if you really, if you really you... want to hear a podcast episode about whatever it is your idea is, like the most expedient route would be to just start your own podcast. Right. Do spend a few months doing R and D. Right. Do that episode. Right. Because uh, it'll probably be better too than whatever we <laughs> slap together in a couple hours. <laughs> you might venture beyond Wikipedia, mm. as we so rarely do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's hope for us yet. I I'm optimistic about the future of this podcast. Me too. I don't know if you still are. <laughs> <laughs> No, I am. I am. I guess it's over. <laughs>